Well, let's go to the Word. 2 Samuel chapter 23. 2 Samuel chapter 23. We're going to be talking about one of David's mighty men tonight. One of uh, one of my favorite stories. I think I say that every week. But anyway, I, I just love the Bible. If you love the Bible, like the whole book, you know, it's just your, it's your favorite story, right? Uh, so 2 Samuel 23 verse 9 says this, And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo. How would you like for your name to be Dodo, right? Dodo the Ahohi. And he was one of three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel had retreated. You might underline that. But verse 10 says this about Eleazar. He arose and he attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. If you got a paper Bible, Highlight it, underline it, circle right in the margin. That's good. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. And people returned after him only to plunder. Let's go back and read verse 10 one more time. It says that he arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. Lord, be with us tonight. Speak to us every heart, every life. God, our ears are open, our hearts are open, our minds are ready to receive. Speak to us. Come on, somebody say, speak to me, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Landon. Hey, well, I don't know about you guys, but um, as, a, as a teenager, I used to be a fighter. Any other fighters in the house? Anybody? Anybody? Oh, don't be too proud about it. Put your hands down. It was a, I got you. I baited you into that one. No, I'm kidding. I, uh, I, I used to be a fighter, and I know you're looking at me, and I know you're like, you're, you know, you're, you're really, you, you're not a fighter. That's probably, you're just, you're not a fighter. Like, you know, you're, you're lying to us right now. It's probably what you're thinking in your mind. But I don't know why. As a, as a young person, I, I just, I had, I had a temper uh, and I, I, I don't know why I just, maybe I had two older brothers. Okay. I had two older brothers and they were, they were really rough. They liked to fight. Uh, they liked to wrestle. They liked to beat me up, bully me a little bit. Anybody, any younger brothers in the house, you know what I'm talking about? It's like, man, it's just rough. And so I grew up in a house and maybe I was taking out all of my frustration on everybody else. You know, I'd get outside the house and be, let's go. I can't take my older brothers, but I can take you. Let's go. And uh, so I don't know. I just, I had this quick temper, had this quick fuse and I was all, always ready, always ready for a fight. And so uh, when I gave my life to Jesus, I, or tried to give my life to Jesus, it was a process, y'all. I was, I was a difficult one, okay? 13 years old, uh, I, I go to church, give my life to Jesus, and, uh, and I, try, I try to make a change. And, and I, went, I went like all in, you know? I was like, here I was, I was 13. I made this just drastic change in my life. I'm like, I'm all in. I've given my life to Christ. I went out and I bought this like Jesus t-shirt. Do y'all remember those Massimo t-shirts back in the day that was like, it was like blurry printing, uh, my 90s people. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It was like you looked at it and you, and you, and you couldn't focus on it. Well, I had the Jesus version of it, okay? Um, and, and so it was like this Jesus written in this blurry text. And so I went to, to school and, and I took my Bible to school with me and I had my Jesus t-shirt on and I was like, I am going to live for Jesus. Man, there's no turning back. I got this. I'm, I'm all in 100%. Let's do this. And, uh, and so uh, very first day, I went and I got on the school bus and uh, this is after school. I sit down in my Jesus t-shirt and I got my Bible and this kid behind me, I promise you, just like starts going off on me. And I'm like, I don't, 
Like, I don't know what this is, you know, I don't know what this is all about. So day one, I just ignore it, right? Day one, we're good. I just clench my Bible a little tighter. Everything's good. We're good. Day two, you know, it gets on my nerves a little more. And I promise y'all, every day on the, bi- on the bus, this kid would throw every curse word at me under the sun. And so finally, one day, I just had enough. And I said the most epic words that you can ever say on a school bus. I said, get off at my bus stop and see what happens, okay? I lost all the Jesus in me, okay? I'm not, I'm, if there's kids in the crowd, don't do what I'm doing, okay? Uh, this was pre-Jesus, all right? And, uh, and I did. I said, I said, you know what? I said, get off at the bus stop. And y'all know what happens. I mean, back, back in school days, you remember what happened. If somebody said those words, nobody was getting off at their bus stop, right? And so it was like you'd go through every bus stop, and the driver would open the door, and he's like, look, and nobody's getting off at the bus stop, right? Because everybody wanted to see the fight. And so we get to my bus stop, and he opens the door, and like literally everybody floods out, you know, floods out. It's, it was, it's like a movie scene, at least in my mind anyway. It probably wasn't this dramatic, but anyway, look, I'm preaching. It's my sermon. I'll preach it the way I want to preach it, okay? Uh, and so everybody kind of, you know, they did the, the fight circle, right? You got the fight circle, and then you've got the two people in the middle, and, you know, you're walking around, and you, guys, you know what I'm talking about? You know, you're, you're walking around, and really the secret behind this is you just want the other other person to quit. You're just afraid that your walk is going to scare them so much that they just walk. They're like, nah, man, that, did you see the way he walked? There's no way that, there's no way that I could, I could fight him. And so, you know, you're wanting the other person to quit and uh, just back out. So he didn't, he didn't quit. And in fact, he moved in first. He moved in towards me. Moment of truth, y'all. And, and so, you know, I, I quickly, I draw my fist back. He's coming towards me. I had, I had to defend, I had to defend myself, guys, okay? It was self-defense. He moved towards me. And so as he moved towards me, I remember I, I reared back and I went in. And as I start swinging, he starts ducking, okay? So I did a quick math, math calculation in my head. And I, I've, okay, this is where I need to adjust to. And I adjusted. And as I adjusted, I made contact and I heard a crack. And I'd hit him in his skull. And it wasn't his skull, it was my hand, okay? Everybody's like, oh my God, his skull? Did you send him to the emergency room? Look at me. No, I didn't send him to the emergency room. Of course I hurt myself, all right? And, and so I, I, hit him in, I hit him in the head and, and, I, and I broke my hand. And I literally, I was thinking, I'm like, dear God, please. I, okay, this, I also don't recommend this, but I said a prayer after I hit somebody in the head. And I said, Lord, please don't let him get back up. It's like, I cannot fight with my left hand. Like, this is, the, if, if you're coming at me with, if I, if, I'm, if I don't have my right hand, I'm done. And, and so luckily, he didn't, he didn't get back up. Uh, it was a two-hit fight, me hitting him and hitting, hitting the ground. Hey-o. And, um, and that was it. And he turned around, and, and, and he walked off. And, uh, and that day... I, it, the, the worst thing about it is, is here I was, I was this kid that was re, I was really trying to live for Jesus, like really, really trying to live for Jesus. And this fight, like it derailed me. And so I, I ended up just, you know, for about six months to a year trying to like get back on this path of, of Christianity. It just, it derailed me. But what I did is that day is, is I made a commitment to myself. I said, I'll never fight again. I said, I'll, I'll, I'll never be in another fight again. And I haven't been. Thank goodness, never been in another fight. So don't somebody try to pick one tonight, all right? Don't, tonight's not the night, don't try. But I, I've never been in another fight, but what I realized is that I had to keep a fighter inside of me. Like, I, I couldn't just go like, okay, well, I'm gonna give up all the fight that's inside of me. I'm just gonna, you know, it's whatever. I had to keep this fighter inside of me. I had to keep this part of me that 
I, I won't quit. I won't give up. I won't stop. I, I'm just going to keep fighting. And so a year later, I end up really giving my life to Jesus. And I really end up grabbing hold of this fight on the inside of me that said, Craig, if you're going to do this, Craig, if you're going to live this life, you're going to have to fight. Craig, if you really commit to living your life for Jesus, you're going to have to fight like your life depends on it, because honestly, it does. And as a teenager, I, I can remember, you know, I, I told you, like, when I was, I went all in, I got the shirt, I got the, you know, I had the keychains, I had the everything, you know, I had the little fish on the back of my car when I turned 16. I, like, I had it all, I, I went all in, I said, okay, God, if I'm doing this, I'm going all in. And I heard something on the inside of me saying, if you're going all in, you're going to have to fight. And, and I came across this interesting stat that they, uh, they, they asked 100 pastors, have you ever thought about quitting or giving up? And 100 out of 100 pastors all said, yes, I've thought about quitting or giving up. Can I tell you that the greatest temptation in the Christian faith is to quit, to give up, and to throw in the towel? That when things get hard, that when things get tough, the temptation is to say, you know what? I quit, I give up, it's too difficult, it's too hard. The commitments that I made to God, the things, the covenant that I made with my eyes, the covenant that I made with my heart, the, the covenant that I made with my mind, the things that I said I wouldn't think about or, or look at, the, the way I said I wouldn't talk anymore, the substances that I said that I would stay away from and wouldn't go back to. It's too difficult to stay away from those things. So, so sometimes in our flesh, we just wanna go, you know what, I just throw in the towel, I just quit and I just give up. But I'm gonna tell somebody tonight, You've got to keep holding on, and you've got to keep fighting. Thomas Edison said it this way. I love this quote. He said, our greatest weakness lies in giving up. Our greatest weakness lies in giving up. The most certain way to succeed is always just to try one more time. Come on, somebody say one more time. This is coming from a man that failed nearly 10,000 times at making the perfect light bulb. Can you imagine failing 10,000 times? You go to make this light bulb, and you're like, okay, this is the time, and you screw it into the thing, and when you connect power to it, the filament just, boom, it just busts. You're like, dang it, come on. All right, I know what I did wrong, and you go in, and you fix it, and you adjust it, and you think this is, and you do that 10,000 times. I would have been like, forget it, man. I am not called to invent a light bulb. I mean, at some point, I would have just been like, this is not my gifting. This is not my calling. This is not my talent. I am not an electrician. I am not called to do this, but he kept going, and his quote is this, our greatest weakness lies in giving up, and I wonder how many times maybe we even said, I'm just not meant to be a Christian because I can't do it. I'm maybe just not meant to live this life because I keep failing and I keep making mistakes. Why do you think Jesus came to the cross? Because he knew we needed grace. Is there anybody that needs grace? And so Jesus came to the cross because he knew we needed grace. He knew we needed the mercy that only he could bring. And all he's telling you to do is just get up one more time. Because our greatest weakness lies in giving up. So you can do what the majority in this story did. Because the Bible says it this way. It says that all of the men had retreated. And that the only one that was standing 
was a man by the name of Eleazar. And the Bible said that all these men had retreated, and here Eleazar was standing on the front line saying, you know what, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stand at my ground. I'm going to fight my fight. I'm going to do what I've been called to do. He was a He was a trained warrior. What he had been trained to do was to stand and fight. All these other men, what were they? They should have been, man, they should have been elbow and elbow. They should have been locked, shield and shield. Man, it should have been like the baddest Hollywood scene that you've ever seen. But instead, here's Eleazar standing on the battlefield, just him and the enemy on the other side, and they're pursuing him. And what does he do? He just holds his ground. He said, you know what, I came here for a fight. And can I tell you that that's the way we're going to have to approach life because when we give our life to Christ, the enemy's like, hey, let's fight, let's go. And we just got to stand our gripe and we go, we're here for the fight. Because Jesus came to this earth for a fight. And he won the fight. And he won the fight on the cross. But let me tell you, the enemy still wants to take us out. When we take sides with Jesus and we lock arms with him, the enemy is putting his sights in on us saying, I'm going to take you out. But we stand and we say, I am ready to fight. I'm ready to keep holding on. I am ready to go to war. I'm going to do battle. Come on, somebody say, keep holding on. Because this is what I love. The Bible said that Eleazar fought so hard that his hand froze to his sword that he fought so long and he fought so hard that his hand froze to the sword listen to what the bible says about the sword in john 1 1 it says this that in the beginning was the word and though the word was god and that the word or that the word was with god and that the word was god you said that doesn't say anything about a sword let me make a connection for you in ephesians chapter 6 verse 17 and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the what it's the word of god so in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god so Jesus is the representation of the word in John 1.1. And so then it goes on to say that the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which is this book, which is the Bible, which is Jesus, the very words of Jesus. So I love that as Eleazar is standing on the battleground, he's got his hand, he's got the sword in his hand and his hand is frozen to that sword. And I can just see people that if we will grab the word, if we will grab grab a hold of Jesus, and if we will just stand our ground, we're going to be all right. We're going to be okay. We're going to make it through the fight. We're going to make it through the battle, but it only happens if we'll take the word of God and we will stand. And I believe that what God is doing here at Restoration, what God is raising up at Restoration is a bunch of people that if we can just grab, imagine how easy the fight would have been for Eleazar if he would have just had some other people lined up beside him and say, we've got our swords and we're ready to do war. What will happen if we have a church that will take a hold and grab the word and say, I'm not letting go of the word. I'm not letting go of Jesus. I'm holding on. I'm fighting. When I feel like giving up, when I feel like quitting, when I feel like throwing down my sword and running like other people have, I won't do it. I will hold on. Come on, somebody say, keep holding on. Because the sword represents the word of God. 
and maybe I could even say it this way. Maybe there's things that God has spoken to you specifically. Can I tell you, hold on to it. We're walking right now in something that we had to hold on to for 17 years. You don't think that there were times that we wanted to throw down the dream? You don't think that there were times where we wanted to walk around, walk away, and and Restoration Church never be a reality? You don't think that there were times that we wanted to say, I give up, I quit, this is too hard, it's too difficult, I don't want to do this anymore, I'm going to throw down the word that you gave to me, but you know what we had to do? We had to hold on to the word. In fact, we were probably five years into ministry, and we were just at a point to where it was tough, it was difficult, it was hard. We were going through transition in our life. And I can remember going, I, I don't want to do this anymore. And I'd always had this plan B in my life. My dad was a business owner, and I grew up working for my dad. Very first job was, was working for him. Started working for my dad at 15. And, you know, it was kind of his dream to, to pass this business on to, to one of his boys. And so it was kind of always this option in the back of our minds that if we ever wanted the business, all we had to do was just, you know, raise our hand and say, hey, I want the business, and it was ours. But none of us really wanted it. Each of us kind of went our our own career path. I went into ministry. My brother is a teacher. My other brother is in finance. And, you know, none of us just, we, you know, it was a sign shop. It was a great business. We were just like, we love you, Dad. We just, you know, sorry. I don't know. we just, it, it wasn't our thing. It wasn't our lane to run in. It wasn't our calling. It wasn't our purpose. And, but it was always my plan B. I always knew if I got tired of ministry, I, I can just go take over dad's business. We just hit a spot and we were like, you know what? We're done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done in ministry. I'm, I'm done with this. It's too hard. It's too difficult. I just, I, I'll just, I'll serve God. I'll just go to church on Sunday. I, I can't do this anymore. I picked up the phone and I, and I called my dad. And uh, I said, hey, Dad, I said, um, I said, I think I'm ready to take over the business. So I, I, I said, I think, you know, we'll, we'll move back home. We were living in Savannah. I said, we'll move back home, and, uh, and I, I'm ready to take over the business. Like, you know, I'll work alongside of you and, and learn it, and, and, you know, in a couple of years you can retire, and, you know, you can pass this thing on, on to one of your boys. And I'll never forget what he said. He's like, man, he said, you're about two days too late. He said, Clint just came to me uh, this week and told me that he wants to take over the business. And my brother stopped being a teacher, and he went to the business, and he started working the business. And, and this, is what, this is what God spoke to me. And it was around the, around the time that God was speaking this message to me. God spoke to me this. He said, sometimes when you don't have the power to hold on, I'll hold on to you. And I feel like there's times in our life to where we just want to take it and we want to, I don't want to do this anymore. And you just, God, I don't want to live for you, but what happens is sometimes that we've been in the fight so long that when we want to let go, God goes, I've got you and I won't let go of you. And in that moment, man, I wanted so desperately just to quit and walk away. And God goes, I've got you and I can't let you go. 
There's a dream inside of you. There's something that I wanted, and I want to tell somebody that has a dream inside of you. I want to tell somebody that has a calling on your life and a purpose. And by the way, every single one of you in this room have a calling and a purpose. And some of you, maybe you haven't discovered it. Maybe you're not walking in it yet, but I'm telling you, you're going to. But if you'll just hold on to the dream, God's going to do it. God's going to make it happen. There's things that he's working out on your behalf that even though it feels like right now, I can't keep holding on if you'll just keep holding on. In the times when you feel like giving up, God says, I'm not letting go of you. I'm not letting go of you. Listen to the way Hebrews chapter 4 says it. It says that the word of God is alive and active. I love this. This is the word of God that it's describing. It is sharper than any double edged sword and it penetrates even dividing the soul and the spirit look it's not talking about bone and marrow what is it talking about spiritual things it divides the soul and the marrow or the soul and the spirit joints and marrow it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart i'm telling you this word is alive and active and when you will just hold on to it it begins to transform your life I'm telling you, we need to take this word. We need to take the words that he has spoken to us, and we need to hold on to this book and say, I'm not giving up on your word. I'm not giving up on the things that you spoke to me. I'm not giving up on the promises that you've given. If you said that I'm more than a conqueror, come on, somebody, I'm more than a conqueror. If you said that I'm the head and not the tail, guess what? I am the head and not the tail. If you said that I'm above and not beneath, guess what? I am above and not beneath. If you told me that when the enemy comes in in one direction, he's going to flee in seven. Guess what? The enemy is going to go running, and all I have to do is stand here and hold on to your word. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. I'm thankful for the word. Is anybody thankful for the word tonight? Anybody thankful that when you're in a battle and you want to quit, we've got a weapon called the word? And I'm not letting it go. Second Timothy says it this way. All scripture. Come on, somebody say all. Not some, not part of the Bible. All scripture. This book right here, the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. If you sing it in children's church, it says this. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful. Come on, somebody say useful. Man, this book is useful. There's good history in here, but it's not just a history book. Because I opened this Bible and I began to read it. And God spoke this story to me when I'm reading about Eleazar. God says to me, hey, look, the sword is the word and the word of God. And I promise you, Craig, if you'll just hold on to the word that I've given to you, you're going to be all right. And you say, you got that from a, a, a part of the Bible that's history? Absolutely. You want to know why? Because this book is alive. This book is living. This book is useful. And I promise you, if you'll put it to use in your life, the, it goes on to say this. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped. Come on, somebody say equipped. Come on, don't we want to be equipped so that way when we go into battle, we've got something to do battle with. We've got a sword, and it's called the Word of God. Keep holding on. Don't let go. Ephesians 6.12 says it this way. It's talking about the armor of God, and it, it begins to describe the armor of God, and it says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Look, I'm not in it. I'm not, this is not about a, a person. Man, this is about spiritual things. It says, but we, we, 
it, we, we war against principalities and against powers and against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness and heavenly places. Look at the world and tell me that evil isn't in this world. Man, turn on the news and tell me that evil isn't in this world. There is evil that is in this world. But I thank God that we are light. There's darkness in this world, but the church is the light that is shining back at the darkness that says darkness will not prevail. Man, if we cut all the lights off in here and if I had a flashlight, you would see that flashlight plain as day. And that's what we need to be when we go into a dark world is we just need to shine into the darkness everywhere we go, that we just need to expel the darkness. And I'm telling you, if we'll go into the world with this book, we're going to expel the darkness. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not about a person or a type of person. What it is, is it's a power and a principality that might be behind a person. And what we want is we want every principality, every stronghold to be torn down. We're in a battle, but we have a weapon. Because think about this. Think about anybody that would go into war. Think about, you know, the Marines and uh, think about people that are in the army. When they go in, they know how to use their weapon. Can you imagine if they, if they went out on the battlefield and they had no idea how to, how to shoot if, if they went into battle and they didn't know how to use their weapon, but, but these guys know how to use their weapon. You know, they, in fact, they can tear their gun down in like a matter of seconds. They tear that gun down, they clean it, and then they put it all back together and it works. Man, if I tried to tear down my gun right now, I wouldn't know. I would be like, where does this spring go and where does this? I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have a clue. I wouldn't know, but these guys, they know how to use their weapon. They know how to break it down. They know how to take it apart. And we've got to know in this word how to break this book down, how to use it, that when we're in prayer, you know what you ought to be praying? You ought to be praying scripture. You know that prayer that I pray over you at the end of every service, the benediction, you know what that is? It's scripture. You know, every time that we're in here where we, I'm not just, look, I'm not just coming up with clever things to say. What are we doing? We're going to the word. Why? Because there is, there's power in the word. And when you will learn this word, you'll learn how to pray this word. You'll learn how to use this word when you feel under attack because there's so many scriptures in this book, so many promises that when you understand it, you'll just walk with a little more confidence. You kind of walk with this faith of the Bible really says, I have this. I, I just say it this way. The powers of this world are real. And the Bible says that we're in a war and that there's these principalities of darkness. But when you come against these powers face to face in real life and you realize that they have to bow to you because of the name of Jesus, you just walk a little different. You just walk a little different. I mean, I can imagine the disciples that after they cast a demon out of somebody in the New Testament, they just kind of walked a little different. They're like, yeah, yeah, that demon had to go because, I, because in the name of Jesus, I said they were, you walk with a little different faith when you realize we have power and we have authority. And when you, when, you learn to, when you learn to use this weapon, when you learn to use this book, when you're walking through some stuff, you'll begin to use a scripture like Psalms 103 that says that he is the God who heals all your diseases. That when you're walking through sickness, that you'll begin to claim that over your life. That when Isaiah wrote that it's by his stripes that we are healed, you'll begin to use scripture in your prayer and not just like, well, God, heal me, I guess. 
No, I, I'm, I don't have to guess about it. I can go back to the word and I can go, okay, well, God, it's by your stripes that we are healed. So if we're healed, I'm going back to your word and I'm gonna speak your word over every situation. If you've got a child that's going crazy, you know to pull up a scripture like Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And you can look at a child that maybe has gone wayward and is doing their own thing and is going crazy, but you can go, you know what? They're coming back to God. Because you can go and you can remind Satan of the prodigal son. You can say, hey, devil, I just want to remind you of something. Go back to the prodigal son. The son may have left the house, but I want to remind you that they threw a party when he came back to the house. And you might even just put the enemy on notice, like I'm getting my party hats out, we're getting the cake out, we're getting all the preparations ready because my child is coming home. My child is coming back to the Lord. And so it's all right every once in a while through prayer just to remind the devil, hey, why don't you turn to the back of the book and see what your fate is? Why don't you just go to Revelations chapter 19 and Satan, why don't you just see where you end up? You're under my feet. We got to learn to use this word. But the men of Israel had retreated. And I just want to tell somebody this everyone else has run out on God. You've got to stand. When it feels like you are the only one, you got to stand. When it feels like you are the last person, with character, when you are the last person with values, you got to stand. The Bible said that all the men of Israel had retreated. So here Eleazar stands on the front line. You got to stand. Are you willing to stand and fight when it feels just like you? Maybe it just feels like just you and your spouse. Maybe it feels like just you and your spouse and your kids. Maybe you feel like everywhere you go that you stick out like a sore thumb because, you know, you're not going to do this and you're not going to do that. You're not going to allow this in your life. And you're like, you know what? I have standards. I have morals. I have these values that I'm living by and I'm not going to compromise. And maybe it feels like, you know what? You're the only one out here standing on the word of God because it can feel that way sometimes. But you go... When I've done all else to stand, I love the way that the Bible says it. Let's go to this in Ephesians. And as the band comes back, it says this. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. Watch this now. Having done all to stand, stand. When you've done everything you know to do to stand, What does the Bible say? Stand. When the enemy's tried to knock you out, when the enemy's tried to knock you down, when he's hit you in your finances, when he's hit you in your marriage, when he's trying to uh, attack and, and come after your kids, when just every angle, the enemy's just coming, and you just feel like, I don't know if I can stand anymore. Come on, stand. Stand therefore in the promise. Stand therefore in the truth. Stand there holding on to the word. God, I know the promise you gave me. God, I know the plans that you have for me. Plans to give me a hope and a future. Plans not to harm me, but plans to... Stand in the truth. When you've done all else to stand, come on somebody, stand. Because I love what happened. Eleazar stands. He fights. And he fights so hard that this sword is stuck to his hand. I mean, he just goes to battle so hard that, that, that this thing is it's just stuck 
even if he wanted to throw it down, he couldn't. His hand had just, and you'll hold on so tight. But I love what happened. In verse 10, it says this, and the people returned after him only to plunder. Your kids need you to stand. Your neighbors need you to stand. The person in the cubicle next to you needs you to stand. The person on your job site needs you to stand. The bosses in the room, the employees under you, they need you to stand. Maybe they don't even have the strength to stand, but you're out on the front lines and you're holding on and you're standing and you're saying, I stand for truth. I stand for this word. I'll be the one to stand. Can I tell you that the Bible says that all of them came and they returned to plunder. What you're doing is just not about you. What you're doing is not just a, a, a solo act, but what you're doing when you're standing and you're fighting and you're battling is you're battling for the next generation. You're battling for your kids. You're battling for those around you. And as you're winning battles, guess what? People are going to return and they're going to get the benefit of you standing out on the front lines and you being the one to fight. Don't give up on the dream. Don't give up on the word. Don't give up on what God has spoken to you. But hold on and keep on fighting. I want you to stand on your feet. Eleazar means this. Eleazar means that God has helped. How did Eleazar do it? Only with God. You think he could have done that in his own strength? No, absolutely not. You think he could have struck down all those men without God? Absolutely not. Only way he was able to do it is because God helped. And what I have found in my life is if I will stand and hold on to the word, if I will stand and I, and I will stand on, on truth, God's going to step in and God will help. When you do what you can do, God steps in and does the rest. We don't sit back. We don't get to sit back and just be like, okay, well, God, whatever, you know, whenever you want to step in. No. God's going, okay, get up on the front lines and I got your back. Get up on the front lines and I'm going to give you the help that you need. But it takes us stepping up to the front lines and holding on and not giving up and fighting and battling through the tough times. And when we do, God will help. I want to close with this story. On December 24th, 1971, there was a German biologist by the name of Julianne Koepke. And her and her mom boarded a flight home for the holidays. And as they took off, they were somewhere over the Peruvian jungle. They flew into a storm and lightning struck their plane and the plane explodes in midair. As you can imagine, the plane is going down and is ripping into pieces and Somehow, miraculously, she stays fastened in to her seat and comes crashing through the top of this rainforest. She comes crashing down. She wakes up. 
gains consciousness and finds that she's the sole survivor. In my mind, I can see her undoing her seatbelt and searching for her mom. Finds her mom. Mom didn't make it. Finds other passengers. Didn't make it. Here she is stranded in this jungle by herself, sole survivor, in the middle of nowhere. And I can kind of imagine this moment where she goes and she sits back in her seat. She has a decision to make. Do I sit back down and just die here? Or do I fight? Do I just sit here in the wreckage that is now my life? Or do I get up and do I fight? And that next morning, she grabbed some chocolates and candies that they had had that they were taking home and fueled up. She's like, I'm getting, I'm getting to, getting home. She began to go down that river, found water. She's like, I know if I just head downstream, I'll, I'll eventually find civilization. One day passes, two days passes, three days passes, still haven't found civilization. At this point, she had a, a broken collarbone. Uh, she had, one of her eyes was swollen. She could barely see. Her glasses were crushed. She was, you know, she didn't have great vision anyway. And so she's nursing these wounds, day three, day four, day five, day six. Still no civilization. I mean, can you imagine being in this situation? Day eight, finally day nine, she stumbles upon a boat. She drags herself in this boat, puts it in the river, and just begins to drift downstream, kind of like a last-ditch effort. You know what? This is it. She begins to drift downstream, finally, finally reaches civilization goes on to have a beautiful life, goes on to have a beautiful family, but it all happened in a moment where she had to sit down and decide, am I going to keep going or am I going to give up? Am I going to push forward or, or is this it? And you know, you may have even come in here tonight and just felt like I, I'm ready to give up on my faith. I'm ready to throw everything in. This, you know, I, I don't want to be in church anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. God, I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. I, I'm done. It's over. And, and or are you going to get up? Maybe you feel like you're sitting in the wreckage just like she was. Your life is just a wreck. It's a mess. Come on, get up and get back in the fight. Come on, tonight is not the night to give up. Tonight is not the night to throw in the towel. Tonight is not the night to say, you know what, I can't do this anymore. No, tonight is the night to pick up your weapon, to pick up the word, and to head out on the front lines and go, tonight is the night that I decide to fight. You can be like 14-year-old Craig that said, tonight is the night that I go all in. And when I went home from that summer camp, by the way, that I, I gave my life to Jesus, I went all in. I took every secular CD, non-Christian CD, and we had a big CD burning party. I mean, I burned it. I was like, I've got to go all in. I took all my drug paraphernalia. I'm like, we're burning it. Luckily, there wasn't anything in there that would get us high as we burned it. And we we're like, I'm going all in. God, I've got to go all in. I think there's somebody here tonight that says, I've got to go all in. I've got to go all in. I can't quit. I can't keep 
keep playing games. Some days I'm on the front line and some days I'm back here with everybody else. And then some days I'm on the front line and I'm like, I'm all in. And then other days I'm just, I need to tell somebody to stop playing games tonight and get in the fight and stand. Some of your problem is, is because you won't stay on the front line in the fight. And you keep giving up and you're like, I don't know. I don't know what. Get in the fight. 